How many of you voted yesterday? Good, a couple of you, that's wonderful. And um, part, of the, part of this morning's prayer meeting was praying for the city. But while I was thinking about it and, and so on, there'll be people in, the, in our congregation for sure. Some will be very happy and some will be very sad. And that is the genius of um, democracy and so on. And many of us will have opinions, but I just want to remind us out of the scripture from Jeremiah 29, the responsibility of the church. You see, God puts all leaders in place, and sometimes um, we may not agree with them, but we never see once in the Gospels, Jesus criticized the leaders, or Paul, in his letters. We see Jesus criticizing religion but never the leaders. And so we have the scripture, if we could please have it up here. And I just want us to, just to lay a foundation, we want to see our city prosper, amen? Hey, hi guys, good to see you. That Jeremiah 29, if that's okay. Amazing little children. So if we could have that chair, and this is to a church in exile. This is a church uh, in Babylon. They're they in a terrible place, and I'm sure there's a lot of murmuring and muttering and them hoping, hoping that the 70 years that God had said they would be in exile would hurry up. But this is what God says to these people. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Now remember, this is Babylon. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And I just want to encourage you on that, that um, it's very hard to reach out to people whom we criticize all the time. And we need to build bridges and pray for them. Leonard Krog, I don't know him personally. Uh, I know a little bit about him, but he is the one that is heading up the city, and we want him to do well so that we can do well, and hopefully through us come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Is that good news? Good. Thank you so much. So today we're going to build on last week's message, which, is, which I titled The Church Jesus is Building, and I'd ask you to please go and uh, check out those messages, and we're going to be on this theme for a while. And um, I'm going to begin this by asking a few questions of, of all of us. And uh, here's the kicker. I know we're, um, you, um, I, I would like you, if you agree with these, to give a shout-out. Not a whisper-out, a shout-out. If you don't, um, nod your heads. But, uh, <laughs> but this is this. I want to ask you, how many of you, and not for me, how many of you genuinely love Oceanside Church? Awesome. How many have been blessed by being a part of the church in the city? And this is the other question. How many of you would miss Oceanside if it no longer existed? 
I definitely would uh, for sure. I love you guys. I love this church. We came here sent by God, and I, we could never have dreamed that um, starting a church in a home with my w- beautiful wife and three kids would grow into this amazing thing that God has done. And um, there's no other place that we would rather be, and we do get to get some to go to some amazing places. So I want to thank you. But here is where I'm going. As much as we care for one another and as much as we enjoy being here, if Oceanside were to close or be closed tomorrow, be it for whatever reason, would anybody outside of, outside of this building notice? And um, I'm sure some would. I've been thinking of this all week. And this is not a rebuke. I lead this church, so I'm responsible for what is going on. But it is a sober, was a sobering thought as I was preparing, building on the sermon last week. I'm sure they would notice us coming and going and, um, on every Sunday and notice the traffic on the sides of the street and all of that, which is wonderful. I'm sure some would notice that our signs and digital footprint are no longer there. They might be looking at our messages and so on. Uh, and some would notice that we no longer do Love Your City. It's an amazing outreach, and they might be disappointed about that. But to me, the question is not do they notice, but is would they even care if we close down? Not us, but the city God has put, put us into. I told the guys in the prayer meeting this morning, and they prayed for me, this is going to be a humdinger. <laughs> and I have to live it first. But our mandate as a church is this, to be a gathering, healing, training, sending church. And that's what we be, and it's almost like a conveyor belt. And in, in which we want to gather in the people that are hurt, the people that are well, the people that are looking for a new home for themselves, the people that are in need. We want to gather them in. And over a process, we want to see them healed. Many people need physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing. Many people have gone through many trials and tribulations, and this needs to be a safe place where people feel loved, forgiven, and accepted regardless of who they are or what they believe. But after that, there's a training part, and we're starting to do that really well. We have a Bible school, we have our home groups, and we have various ways of training people. But the last part is the sending part. Gathering, healing, training, sending. And so the role of the church is for us is to do that and to empower us so that we can go and live out our Christian life in our cities and in the nations and share the love of Jesus. As we looked at that uh, orphanage, it's often way easier to go on mission, and we love that, and I love going on. In January, I'm going to go to be in Haiti with um, three, four other ch- per- uh, um, guys on the, on the apostolic team, 
We've been asked to come there by some of the Haitian churches and help them. And I love doing that kind of thing. I've been to Haiti before. It's, it's uh, in a desperate situation, but there are godly, godly people there. And if we can come and lift their hands, we will do that anywhere in the world. But it's not as easy to be missional where we live. It's great Ghana mission, but are we missional where we live? You see, Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power to be a witness. And he said that would start in Jerusalem. And that our Jerusalem is Nanaimo, Vancouver Island, uh, and so on. Judea, British Columbia, Samaria, Canada, to the uttermost parts of the world. It's not one at a time. We don't do this, get Nanaimo right, and then go there, and then go there and end up in the Congo. It's all at once. You see, not all of us can go, and not all of us uh, um, uh, can reach out to other nations, but all of us can make a difference in the city that we live in. And this is why I believe the church has become an event, and the church has become a thing that we do on a Sunday, and so I'm going to let all of you off the hook. It's because we have been taught to do that. Church has become an event, a tradition that we do on a Sunday, and we come here and we hear a preach and we do our religious thing. And that's extremely important, church. It's extremely important that we do that. But I want to tell you that's not what God intended. He has so much more for you, so much more for us. And I just love the fact that we, we're doing this around the transition of our council and all of that, because wouldn't it be wonderful if we're going to see um, our new councillors, our new school board, how can we help you? What can we do in the city to make your load easier? That would be uh, an amazing thing to see. You see, tradition has made the church a place we go to once or twice a week to worship God in order to fulfill a religious duty, not understanding that we don't go to church, but we are the church. We are the church of the living God, the firstborn amongst all creation. The Bible says we are the body of Christ, so we don't go to church and thank the good Lord that we meet in a gymnasium because nobody would call this a church. I had a wonderful, just a sideline here, chat to two Jehovah's Witnesses yesterday, and we were talking Scripture backwards and forth and, and so on, and I, I told them what I do, and I said, yeah, you see that? Because you can see this from my house, if, this big building. I said, you see that building? That's our, that's our church. What? Yeah, and I said, yeah, that's where we meet. The one of the things about them, although we disagree and although, um, and, and so on, is that they are out there on the streets doing what God intended us all to do, especially us as his, the body of Christ. You see, the church, is the, the church of the living God is the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we gather together to worship God. This is why we come together. We gather together and we'll see in Scripture that it's extremely important. Number one, to worship God and to thank God. And out of that, to encourage one another. This is the huddle. 
This is the, the time between first, second, and third period when, when our teams are getting beaten up and they go into the change room. None of them say, I'm not going to go out there again. This sucks. Let's just give up. No, the coaches are there, the trainers are there, the managers are there, and they're encouraging them to get back on the playing field. And the great thing about a team, if you're in a good team ever, there's very little criticism from within the team. But from the spectators sitting in the bleachers, heaven help us. And because of tradition, in one way, the church has become the biggest spectator sport in the world. Maybe next to the NFL. And God never intended that. It's not one or the other, and we'll look at it now. But we come to be trained and equipped for works of service. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, and please... If you write these down or read these, I'd ask you to consider what was said and see if it's true. That's your obligation. um, But Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 is in context, and I don't have time to read the context. But it says here, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What for? To equip or prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. I want to tell you this. I'm no more, uh, I have no more standing before Christ than you have. I'm no more important to the church than you are. We are all, the Bible says, heirs of God if we're saved and born again and co-heirs with Christ. An heir of God and a co-heir of Christ. Think about that. There's no higher calling in the universe. How higher than we can be than an heir of God? Everything else we do from there is downhill. And what I mean like that, everything else is serving, 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 as we go deeper still, deeper still. So I'm called to lead this church for this season. And so the Bible says what I've been called to do I need to do well because I'll give an account for that. People are called to work in the church, and they'll give an account for that. But I'm also called to be an ambassador of Christ outside of this place, to represent Christ well. And when we get all of our identity and our fulfillment out of community, this is an amazing community. We can go out of here and feel that We've done our duty. But this is not what this is for. This is for me, the elders, the apostles, teachers, evangelists, to come and equip us so that we can go out there and do the work of the gospel. In Hebrews 10, 19, 24, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, By a new and a living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled 
to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, if you are new to the church or you are seeking, this might not make any sense, but I'd love to get one of us to sit down here and help you explain it because it's an amazing scripture. It's amazing scripture talking of the grace and the mercy of God. And, but this is what I want to um, highlight. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us how, consider how we must, can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You see, the way we rent, uh, represent Christ is not so much by what we say, but by who we are and what we do. And Francis of Assisi, St. Francis, was uh, accredited with this statement. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Isn't that absolutely amazing? You see, also tradition has made it so hard for people to represent Christ. I don't know the word. I don't know this. What happens if they ask me this? What hap- well, what happens? If you don't know the answer, you just say, I don't know. But I have some dudes that may know a bit more than me. Can I bring them with me next time? But I tell you what, for me, the biggest witness is ourselves, the way we walk out our, our work, because we can argue over Scripture and all of these things. And I had that wonderful debate with the uh, Jehovah's yesterday. But we cannot argue with the life that is being transformed by the power of God through Jesus Christ. You cannot argue with it. That's how I became a Christian. My wife was saved two years before I got saved, and, she, and I made her life a misery because I didn't like Christians. Sorry, I, I need to confess that at that stage. But as I watched my wife's life, and as I tried to get her off the rails and all of these kind of questions that I had for as I watched that, I begin to watch, uh, want what she had, which was, and I came kicking and screaming. But there was a peace, there was a joy. She had no, none of the answers, and I would look up silly questions and ask her, like, who made God? And how, do, how many animals can you fit in an ark? and all of these kind of things. But I could not, and she didn't know them. So she tricked me. She then went to full-time Bible school to learn. <laughs> Can you imagine? Unsaved guy with a wife at full-time Bible school every night. <laughs> One of the main reasons we're here to hear, well, the, for me as saved, is through my, my wife's witness. I remember she came back from Bible school and said, you know, one day we might be going uh, to another nation to plant a church. I freaked out. I went ballistic. What happened? One day we did. But that's what got me. Not that she knew the whole Bible, but there was something different in her life. And I thank God for that. And I can say to her, because if she was here, she'd say, please don't speak about me to others. She feels a little bit embarrassed about it. 
But I love the fact that God saved her and through her saved me. See, we to spur each other on. And how do we inspire? And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This is important. This is the huddle. This is important. And what do we do? We do what they do in the change room. We encourage one another. All the more as we see the day appearing. Encourage is an amazing word because of me, it means this in the Greek, Hebrew, Latin, or whatever you speak, encourage. Put courage in me. Encourage me so that I can go here. I've been beaten up by the world and I've done things I shouldn't have had and I'm feeling like a loser and I can come in here and I can be encouraged. Just like a coach would. Hey, bro, you can do this, man. We can win this. We're 5-0 down, but let's win it. Encourage. That's what this is about. This is the body of Christ. That's what the body is about, to be equipped, trained, and encouraged. You see, but we see in Scripture, like Acts 5.42, speaking of the early church. You see, this is what the... They did, day after day. I don't know if any of them had jobs, but anyway. Day after day, they met together in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They met together, they prayed together, but they went out and proclaimed the good news. It wasn't one or the other. So I hope you understand that. Please don't not come back next week. But we need to understand that this is one part of the whole. So this is my last question, and I'm going to personalize this. And it kept me awake a few times this week. As I'm praying and ask God what I need to share I've got one finger looking at you and a good couple looking back at me when I do this. And this is the thought that came to me, and I personalize it. And I want to put it in the context of Acts 17, 26. 17, verse 26 to 27. In the Word of God, we see here that we are not here by accident in the city at this time. We might think we are. We might think a job job brought us here, circumstance brought us here, the weather brought us here. But those are all things that God uses to bring us here. And this is what Paul says. He's on Mars Hill. He's debating philosophers and so on in Athens, and it's an awesome chapter uh, they're debating each other a bit there, and if you like debate, you should go and read that. But he says this to them at the end of that. From one man, he made every nation, Adam, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He's looking back to Genesis. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places they should live. So I want to tell you that. Don't be afraid of these times. We're not to hide away in caves. God determined, yeah, you're having build houses, settle down. Get houses, settle down, pray for the city and have babies. 
Oh, I have some, I don't want to have children. Listen, if God tells you not to, wonderful. But God determines. And I've seen many people that say they don't want to have babies, have babies. How the heck did that happen? Well, maybe God determined that child would be here. God determines every child. And he has a plan for them. So we mustn't live in fear. He says this, the exact place they should live. So we're in Nanaimo. Good council, bad council. We're in Canada. Good prime minister, bad prime minister. Whatever you feel, it makes no difference. All we have to do is pray for them and maybe keep some, some of our thoughts to ourselves and have the conversation with God and not with everybody else about what we think about everything. Justin Trudeau needs our prayer. Can you imagine? Listen, I've battled to lead a church. Can you imagine the voices, everything, whether you like him or not, God put him there, and he needs to be encouraged and prayed for, for the priests and prosperity of our nation. That's our job. We're the church. And so if we have these thoughts, yes, they might be true. And, and if we put ourselves against a white sheet of paper and we look at this, uh, see if we have any sin in us, maybe there's a few little dots on that paper too. So we need to be the solution. We are the solution. And I won't let anybody speak into my life deeply unless I know they love me. I can hear it. I can thank you. But I tell you, when Deborah speaks into my life, and she is tough, man. Jeez, please don't let her listen to the service. Her name's come up too many times. I know she loves me. I know she cares for me. But somebody else can say that randomly and say, I'm sorry, man. I might consider it, and it might be true, but I'm not going to receive it the same way. And if our leaders know we love and care for them and pray for them, maybe when we sit in their offices, if we can, there's a whole different relationship. You see that? You see, if we as individual followers of Christ, we're no longer here, and our neighbors, now this is personalizing, this is, if I was no longer, let me just put it this way, I don't know why I made it so religious in my notes, but if I wasn't here, or you weren't here, would my neighbors, left, right, street, even starting there, would my work colleagues even care? They might notice it, but will they care? They might notice the church is not here, but will they care? That's a big question. But they say, man, I'm so sorry to see you go, man. You've been awesome here, man. Thank you for serving. Thank you for that. Oh, jeez. There's the door. You see, God has determined our neighborhoods. God has determined our schools. God has determined our workplace so that through, through us, men would reach out for him as ambassadors. 
And it's a, it's a challenging message for me. And I want to get better at it. You see, from last week, I'm going to share a few questions, um, um, verses from here. Colossians 4, 5 to 6. Paul reminds us of this. Be wise in the way we act towards outsiders or unbelievers. I don't uh, like the translation that says outsiders. There's no in and out. There's no us and him, them. We're all in this together. But there's some people that just don't believe. And to make the most of every opportunity. God places. You see, I'm glad we spoke about the Congo and we to be there and all of that, and we love that orphanage and so on. But can we have the same passion for, for our mission field, which might be working at McDonald's, or might be as a doctor, might be as a lawyer, might be as a janitor, might be as a teacher? Can we have the same passion for the people that God has put around us daily? Remember, I said it's easily to go on mission, but not as easy to be missional daily. And that's for me. Would our, parents, would our, our colleagues care if we were not there? When we say Christian, what thought do they have? We can't deal with our past, and we can't deal with what other people do, but we can deal with ourselves. Hey, man, I really miss you, bro. They see us a few months. Man, I really miss you. Well, awesome, bro. I miss you too. Let's have a coffee. Maybe a conversation starts. Why are you like that? Why, you know, you have such peace in all of these things in your life, and we can open up the gospel. And this is also what we shared as it goes on. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Always be full of grace. Every conversation. So that you may know how to answer everyone. Why does the Bible talk of salt? And those of you here, and if you listen to the message, you'll hear this in more detail. Because just the right amount of salt brings out the flavor of food. How many of you like food without salt? Anybody? One person, that's awesome. Well, the majority like salt, like me. It can be the best meal in the world. And I sit down there and I say, where's the salt? There's the salt in there, I want more salt. Because it brings out flavor. And so we'll be seasoned with salt. We've got to bring out the flavor of Christ, the aroma of Christ, wherever we go. That's what we're called to do. But too much salt, too much salt makes the food taste worse. So we have the traditional old, and I tell you, when I got saved, Unfortunately, it was like this in the 80s. Man, turn or burn, bro. Jesus loves you. But if you don't love him back, you're going to go to hell. What the heck is that? 
That's like 10 tons of salt. Guys, dead, mummified by the salt. A little salt. Hey, man, God loves you. Well, I don't care about that. And you can say, well, I know you might not, but he cares. That's salt. This is church, people. This is awesome. I love the little children. And so... (laughs) Do you know the crazy thing? That most of Jesus' major miracles and, and, and um, conversations with people were through interruptions. You go and look at He's doing something. Hey, what about this? He says, oh, I'm glad you asked. He goes that way and he comes back. Hey, he's preaching here and hey, my daughter's sick. Can you come with me? Okay, hold on, you guys. I'm going to go with them. I'm going to sort that out. Heal somebody. Interruptions are good. I'm trying to learn, learn that. <laughs> Not here, but in my life. I want to tell you a story. We had a, a nurse, she's no longer here in the hospital there, amazing lady, full of grace, amazing witness for Jesus Christ. I was in my office preparing to preach on a Friday, and I'm in the zone, and I'm, like you say, I don't like interruptions. I could be in the zone, and somebody says, how are you doing? And the thought's gone. Oh, jeez. You know, and then I try and capture it again. And I'm there, and I think Bernie was there. She was our administrator. I don't know if she'll remember. Says, this lady wants to chat to you, and I said, ah, okay. I was in Mark's little box of an office. That was my office, and um, she finally said, listen, I'm in the hospital here. This guy's um, on his deathbed. He's been struggling uh, to let go. This is from the family telling for three days. He's in pain and anguish, and the, pe- the, the, the um, people asked her as a nurse, hey, do you know a priest? She said, well, sort of. Phones me. Can you come and pray for this guy? Just for the peace of God upon him. And I'm thinking, oh, this is my first thing. Oh. Okay. I get in my car. Jeez, I've got to prepare. I've got to do all of this stuff. I get there. I go in the room. The family's around the bed. This guy's there, breathing heavily. And they said, listen, man, he, we just want him to be able to let go. So I took out of his hand. I said, so I don't know if you can hear me, but I want you, if you can just squeeze my little hand, my hand a, a little bit, I want to share something with you. And he, I said, I, I shared the gospel, I can't read, I shared the gospel, the love of Christ, how much God loves him. He's got nothing to be afraid of. And I said, have you ever given your heart to, to Jesus? No. Would you like to? Yes. He grabbed my hand. I led him through a prayer of repentance. I led him through him acknowledging Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. The family was crying. I left there after that. I got up back in the car. And when I got here 20 um, minutes later, this, this beautiful nurse Find me and said he's passed away peacefully. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 
what God would have said, what the heck? You put your, that before people. And so these are real things. And I want to be real with you because I'm a work in progress myself. We know that. We saw that last week. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds. And then what is it? Your, through your good deeds and through you being a witness to them in love, forgiveness, and acceptance, they will begin to glorify God. That's the word of God from Jesus himself. I'm just going to have to, for time, just um, go to Acts 10. I want to finish with this. Acts 10, 38. We looked at this in detail last week, and please go and see it. Go and read it. And Paul saying to Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, the church that we are part of, the universal church of the living God, was started in this man's house with a few of his servants and with Peter preaching to him. Can you imagine Cornelius in heaven saying, what the heck? It grew from a little home group to billions of people. He must have a big smile on his face every day when he looks down because he was Grand Zero of the Gentile church as far as I can see. But he says this, Paul says, you know how God, 38, Acts 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what did he do? This is an amazing thing. He didn't put on a big robe with a big Bible and, and choke people with the word. What did God himself do? He went about doing good. Wow. That's what he did. And as he went about doing good, people were attracted to him because he wasn't like the religious bigots that wanted nothing to do with them. He went about doing good. And that's God wants us to do. Don't worry if you've got nothing, if there's no opportunity to say something. Just build bridges of love. Go about doing good. Go about the city, your neighbors, wherever. If they need help, if there's a lady next door to you, a single mom or something, and she needs a break, maybe you can help her do good and give her a break and get her kids for a while. Build a relationship because she's not going to leave them with strangers. But build it. Say, hey, would you like to go out for a day or for a morning or see a movie? I'd love to do that. But how hard is it with two parents? Single dads, too. How hard is it with two parents? Don't have to say anything. Hey, I'll do that. My wife will, will do that. But I see your lawn's not been cut. I'm going to tell my husband to cut your lawn. She comes, what the heck? I've got enough on my plate. How dare you do that? No. Cut the lawn. Man, i tell you something. My, my, my neighbor's husband left her a while ago. Slowly but surely, 
she's going to be coming to Oceanside just to visit. She's, she wants to. And her place, she, she started reaching out to us. And just this thought came. Man, her, her, her yard has been done for six months because they were concentrating on other things. And I thought, I haven't got time. But then I thought, hey, I, I know a guy that's looking for work and wants some money. I phoned him up. I said, listen, can I pay you to do my neighbor's lawn and fix up the yard? Of course, I need the money. Came there. I wasn't even there. I did nothing. I gave him a few bucks. That's all. Gave him, he paid him for his work. She came across. And I, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to stumble some of you. But she came across with a bottle of wine. Thank you. And even worse, we actually drank the wine with her. <laughs> Do you know what's happened now? Deborah and I can barely get out the driveway if she's there. Hey, how are you doing? Wow, 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 wow. It's inconvenient, but it's beautiful. I felt so bad because I didn't even do the work myself. <laughs> now, I could have said to you, you know, you need to come to church. You know, that's what you need right now. You need God in your life and, and divorce is a sin and blah, 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 blah. And by the way, we lead a church down the road. Would you like to come? But you start asking, so what are you doing in that big square building up there? Our neighbors really don't like this building because it spoils a lot of their views, so it's a talking point. <laughs> Gives me an opportunity to tell them, well, it's a school gym first, blah, 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 and so on. And then he began to heal all who are under the power of the devil because God was with them. People need emotional healing. They need spiritual healing. It's not just raising the dead. And often, a lot of the sicknesses they have is because of emotional stress and all of that kind of stuff. And if we start to bring healing, and healing is, come have a tea. Can I have a coffee? God, work. Hey, bro, I've been watching you. Are you okay? Can I buy you a coffee? What the heck? You've worked with me two years. I don't even know your name. Yeah, but now I want to. That's our mission field. And that's my mission field. And I need to, as a pastor, not be so inward focused that I forget that my primary person, a purpose here is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Jesus said that was not a suggestion, it's a command. All authority in heaven and earth, now you go. And if we could um, finish with this now and just pray for a little while. I'm sorry I'm all over the place. But I hope you can hear my heart because I know we can make a difference. I know you can make a difference. I know the city can be different. I know my neighbors can be different. I know that if we just understand that it doesn't matter what we've got in our head, it's what we've got in our heart. It doesn't matter what we know, it's who we are that will bring healing and forgiveness. And if we get this right, a gathering, 
healing. And people in the process of healing, guys, please hear. If you are struggling and you are not ready, you're in that process. And we will help you. And we want to love you. But then we want to train you when you get out of that. Some people come here and sit here for two years just wiped out. Scary thing is often because of other church experiences. We want them to get whole. And then we want to give them some tools, some training tools. And then we want to send them to go about doing good. And one of the ways we get out of our own problems is we look at somebody else's problems. If we're worried about, oh, I haven't got enough money, I haven't got this and that, go and hang out on the street for a couple hours. Go and sit under a bridge at night with those guys. You will come back and thank God and fall on your face at the blessing. And if we can do that and make a difference, the city will miss us and they will care. And that's what I want. Amen? Thank you. God bless you. Oh. Cheers. What I